Greetings and welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. This week I'm joined by my longstanding friend and colleague, Craig Perkins. Craig worked for the city of Santa Monica for many years and for about the past 12 years, he's been the president and the executive director of the Energy Coalition, one of the leading nonprofits in California promoting energy efficiency and distributed energy solutions. Craig, welcome to the Net Positive Podcast. It's great to be here with you. Great to be with you, Ted. Craig, where were you born and raised? I was born in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Both of my parents were born and raised in Kansas, but uh, they moved to California when I was less than two years old. So I didn't spend a whole lot of uh, knowing time in Kansas, although we did a lot of road trips back there when I was a kid to visit relatives in the summer with no air conditioning. Right, right. And did did you move to Southern California when you came to your parents came to California? No, we moved to Sanger, California. It's a small uh, farming community, thirteen miles east of Fresno, and uh, and the reason being that that's where my grandmother had ended up. She was a uh, elementary school teacher, and uh, and so that's my dad and mom and family planted themselves in Sanger, California. And that's where I grew up through high school, uh, went to college at, at UC Berkeley. So that was- What was, what was Sanger like? I mean, it must have been a very small town. Sanger was uh, you know, much less than 10,000 people at that time. And uh, it was the, the major part of the economy was uh, tree fruit and grapes. And um, you know, just a, a really rich, fruit growing uh, surroundings. And, what did, what did uh, and you then, envision? What did you like to do when you were a kid? What did you envision doing when you got older? I didn't have any vision of what I want to do when I was older, but I had a lot of fun when I was as a kid, you know, in a small town, just basically, um, you know, went to school, but then during the summer, which was great, basically, you know, uh, you got kicked out of the house in the morning and the parents said, okay, be back by dark. And uh, <laughs> so we did a, we did a lot of lot of lot of interaction with the other neighborhood kids. Yeah. There were still, um, uh, you know, vineyards like only a couple blocks away. Uh, when we first moved in uh, to the house, there was a, a vacant lot across the street, which began be, became my elementary school, and uh, and so you know just grew up in that Sanger small town environment, and that was my circle of friends, and tried to figure out. What to do? The exciting thing was to drive into Fresno. <laughs> and but then you but then you went off to Berkeley, the big city life. Went off to the big city, and uh, that was quite a quite a culture shock. But I was just you know I, I was just just thrilled to have that experience. Just fell right into it. You know the uh, you know the, the the chaos and the the sensory you know stimulation of all sorts and. Uh, and did, did great. I, mean, I just really enjoyed my time at Berkeley. I mean, Berkeley was a, a bastion of the, what, the hippie movement, wasn't it? Was that the People's Park era at Berkeley? Or? Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, uh, I'm dating myself here, but uh, I started school uh, sort of right after the first the, sort of the early 70s, you know, right when a lot of that stuff had occurred, but it was going through this sort of new sort of, you know, recalibration of, between the hippies and the druggies and the, you know, the community trying to, you know, get to its new trajectory and people's park uh, sort of had its last gasp of uh, demonstrations at that point. 
So it was an exciting time. And your major was sociology. What was what was that what was that focus? And I know that led you off to South America. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I didn't declare a major until I absolutely had to, which was the start, start of my junior year. And uh, based on what the courses that I had taken and sort of my general interests, which were pretty sort of broadly sort of liberal arts humanities, I ended up uh, deciding that sociology, you know, was the best fit. And um, my, you have to choose an advisor. And I, uh, I, ch I approached uh, one of the sociology professors at the time who was still there, Harry Edwards, the, uh, the guy who led the, uh, Olympic, the, the Olympic boycott, the 1968 uh, Olympic uh, boycott. Um, and, uh, and he was a fascinating guy, fascinating teacher. I took all his classes that he offered in sociology. And, uh, and then that, you know, led me to, interestingly, um, at that time, uh, the UC system required a, a Spanish language proficiency. I had taken Spanish in high school, but I needed to take a couple of Spanish courses in order to satisfy that requirement. I decided to take Spanish. I uh, had a couple of really great professors, one from uh, Peru, one from Argentina, and I became very interested in, in Spanish. Um, had uh, one of my former roommates had taken a trip to, to Mexico to sort of camp on beaches, and I decided as soon as I graduate, I'm gonna take a trip to Mexico. And I did that, I kind of took a bus. <laughs> Got on a bus, ended up in Guadalajara, hitchhiked around, uh, you know, for about a month and a half. Came back and said, "This is really interesting. I wonder if there's some way I can uh, save some money and take a more extended trip," which I did um, in the 19 in you know 1975-76. Uh, got on a got on another bus and ended up, um, believe it or not, as far as got as far as Bolivia before I uh, ran out of money. And that was about four and a half months. And um, just I just really got the bug. I got the Latin American bug, came back, um, got some uh, part-time jobs and, and really um, figured out where I could go to graduate school related to Latin American studies. Uh, UCLA had a really good program and that's where I ended up in an interdisciplinary program in a, a master's program for Latin American studies, which then led to a joint pol political science Latin American studies degree. I got a fellowship to spend uh, six months in Peru studying agricultural policy, a very marketable skill. And, uh, and uh, when I got back, finished uh, all my coursework, was uh, working at UCLA in a, a, a really uh, sort of bizarre uh, job, uh, going to the library, checking out 10 years worth of uh, Latin American journals and indexing them for this bibliographic project. Um, and uh, at the time, my uh, 2B wife was working for the city of Beverly Hills. She decided that she wanted to get a master's in public administration. And being a professional student at that point, I said, sure, I'll tag along. Went to uh, Cal State Dominguez Hills, got a uh, was in the master's program and sent letters to 30 local governments in Southern California. Santa Monica was the only one that responded. Got a two-month internship with Santa Monica that ended up being a 25-year career in city government. So not Latin American studies focused, but you never know sort of, you know, the, the, the way your path is going to lead.
how would you describe that Latin American bug? What, what about that culture was of, of great interest? I just became fascinated. Um, I, 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 loved, I loved the language and I just loved the cultures. And, and then, as it turned out, really, really loved the, the history and the politics and, you know, and, and, you know, the sort of archaeology. And so it was very, the very, a whole bunch of different stuff really gravitated more to, you know, the politics and, um, and, you know, the policy side of it, which I found fascinating. And yeah, and so it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, describe, you just, you just connect with certain things and you never know what those are going to be. And, uh, you know, I, I just was, um, just enthralled by the, the vastness and, and the richness of, you know, Latin America as an area of, uh, of study and uh, area of travel. I know that you worked at the, at the city of Santa Monica for like 25 years and you've been at the energy coalition now for, I don't know, another 13 or 14 years, right? Um, yeah, yes, found, exactly. Have you found excuses to go back and to visit Latin America uh, periodically? Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, because I ended up uh, marrying a woman who was born in Costa Rica, came here when she was 12, 13. And so there was that connection and uh, have, have gone back and have uh, actually, we're, we're now working with uh, an organization um, that consists of uh, the 35 capital cities of the Americas, mostly in, in, in Latin America. And we're trying to, we're trying to come up with, uh, with uh, projects where we can work on both education as well as, as well as energy services in Latin America. And that's a work in progress, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm optimistic we're gonna uh, come up with some, some specific linkages to, you know, our energy work. Let's, let's talk about Santa Monica. That, that's uh, where you were when I met you, you were the, you had the greatest department. What was it? Environment and Public Works, I guess. E exactly. E and PW, and uh, you you are well known for uh, your environmental leadership, and and really turned Santa Monica, I I think, into probably the leading green city in Southern California. Isn't that probably fair to say? Um, yeah. Well, you know it. Um, it's all about timing and sort of being in in the right spot at the right time. And I was I was fortunate in that regard. Um, what do they say? Luck is the intersection of preparation and opportunity, something like that. And so I was, you know, so it, it was it was good luck on my part. But um, you know, this this would have been at the the you know it's really the birth of the whole concept of sustainability as a, a policy uh, initiative. And um, I originally got hired in Santa Monica to work on the budget. So I was, in the, I was in the budget office, which was in the city manager's office. And I was pretty good at it actually uh, uh, within you know, a couple, less than three years because of turnover and sort of my sort of learning curve, steep learning curve, I became the budget director for Santa Monica, believe it or not. Um, so you never, you, you, and not much preparation in Latin American studies for that, but, uh, but that, you know, something I, I really took to and, um, and for a lot of reasons, um, it, well, the budget, you know, was moved to the finance department. The city manager basically said, uh, Hey, are, are you interested in opportunity in the public works department being a sort of the, the administrative manager in public works? And I said, sure, I am because, you know, it was really going from a staff sort of, um, sort of sitting down in the weeds job to being uh, in a job where you're dealing with operations. 
and uh, and sort of a lot a lot of interesting different utility and other sorts of public works operations, and uh, that that really um, was as it ended up became my um, sort of passion in terms of how how we could improve not only operations but we could uh, uh, sort of bring together all of these resource management areas into a more coherent whole from a standpoint of policy. And so, you know, uh, it was my idea to create, let's, let's bring together water conservation and uh, energy conservation and hazardous materials and sort of all these other sort of different sort different programs into an environmental programs division. Let's bring them all together and come up with a uh, overarching policy vision for that. And uh, my boss and the city manager said, okay, well, you know, put it together. If the council approves it, then you can do it. And they did, because at that point in time, we had a city council that was uh, very progressive and very interested in being leaders uh, in, you know, in, in the area of environmental protection and environmental services. And, um, and so it was great. And we put together an, uh, that division. I became the division manager um, and, and really thought a lot about how, uh, how uh, sustainability practices and policies could be integrated in terms into day-to-day -day sort of operations and, and missions of solid waste and water and wastewater and facility maintenance and beach cleaning and all those things that we were able to uh, have an impact on and that we that that department was in charge of. And, and ha yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I mean, what percentage of your time was going towards the sustainability stuff versus, I mean, being the director of public works alone is a big job. You know, you're running all of the streets and the, like you said, the water utilities and well, you got all sorts of responsibilities. So what, what percentage was the, the, what I call the sexy environmental yeah. stuff versus the you know, sort of the uh, meat and potatoes of public works? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I, I like to uh, describe my, I, I used to describe my job as I'm in charge of everything that can break in the city of Santa Monica. And literally <laughs> break. I mean, you know, you have water lines, you know, blowing up and creating, you know, 20 foot, uh, you know, sort of sinkholes and stuff like that. But um, I would say that, you know, on a on an average basis, you know, it was definitely, you know, sort of less than 20 percent, maybe more of the 10 to 15 percent range. But the good news is that um, we were able to uh, draft and adopt a lot of uh, a lot of policy statements and targets, goals and targets, which really then define a lot of the activities of those departments. So, so it's not so much about, you know, you put it in a separate compartment, it's how do you integrate that into the way you do business, right? And, and that's really, that's, the, that's always the challenge. It's, it's easy to say it's hard to do. And I think that that's where we, we made a lot of progress and had success in Santa Monica. I think that model is a really good one. I think about the city of Glendale where I live right now and I, I we have a fledgling office of sustainability we got a large public works uh, operation going on and there really is very little, very little coordination. So you really, I think, did create, a, create, create an exciting model. Let's fast forward a little bit. And, and you and I both were, um, knew a guy named John Phillips, who's passed away, but um, kind of a quacky guy, uh, an interesting guy. His dad had run a large mechanical engineering firm and 
And John just thought that big buildings uh, only operated as well as the operators operated them. Uh, it wasn't just a matter of putting a lot of technology in, but you needed to couple technology with the behavior, with the operational uh, skills. When did you meet John? Because I know early off, uh, this is before I worked with John, he had the Regional Energy and Energy Efficiency Initiative, REEI, and that was, I think, just originally the city of Irvine and the city of Santa Monica. Right. Yeah, um, he, was a, he was a fascinating guy, could, uh, could uh, drive you nuts at one moment and then do something really inspiring in the next moment. It is a, that sort of person, as you know. Um, I first met John, <laughs> this is a funny story. I was the environmental programs manager in Santa Monica and, uh, and, and the mayor at the time had, had met John at some meeting or conference and he, you know, and John gave him his, his pitch of how the world energy world needed to change. And, uh, and he thought it was interesting. So he, he uh, contacted the city manager, of Santa Monica said, I got this guy. I want to bring up there to meet with you. Uh, cause he's got some really in interesting ideas on, on energy and what Santa Monica may, may be able to do. And so the city manager, um, says, okay, yeah, we'll set up a meeting. He calls me up and he says, Craig, I want you to come to this meeting. This guy's going to come in and talk about energy stuff. And, you know, if there's any follow up, you know, I want you to take care of it. So I go to the meeting and uh, John, you know, has makes his impassioned sort of pitch about the, you know, what the, the energy world looks like and where it needs to go and what Santa Monica can do, what he's doing in Irvine. And uh, and he ends the meeting and he leaves and I'm sitting there with the city man and the mayor was there. And so the mayor and John leave. The city manager turns to me and says uh, do you know what he was talking about? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I said, yeah, yeah, John, the city manager's name is also John. I said, yeah, John, I think I, I think there's, there's some stuff there that, that we can follow up on. So I'll, I'll do that and I'll, I'll keep you posted. And that led to uh, us, you know, becoming one of those partners with Irvine. And so that was really the start of it. So John Phillips is always one of those guys that he, he, he wasn't, he wasn't really good in the execution of stuff, but he's really good in the, the vision statement of stuff. And I'm really good in the execution of stuff. So, so that was a, that was a good, um, a good partnership, I think. And he really, he really tried to stir it up. I mean, to kind of put yeah. it really, I mean, you, you take a, if you have a city, he would say, let's, let's define a, a subset of that city, an energy district. And then let's just see if we can't sort of dump a lot of resources and put a lot of focus on that and create a lot of, community organizing and to see whether we could really create better energy savings than the utility programs. And I think he proved that out really, really effectively. No, I, I agree. And that, and that you know, I, I, I um, refer to that as the, the need for disruption. Nothing advances this world without disruption. And, and I think that looking back on sort of, you know, my time in Santa Monica, my time with the Energy Coalition and sort of what, you know, so we're, what I think about where things need to go, it, it really is about sort of questioning those prevailing assumptions. There's there, you know, we can't we can't do it the way we've done it because that's the reason that we're in the pickle we're in, right? So you got to figure out different ways to do things, which is gonna require um, some people being unhappy um, and is also gonna require uh, you know significant change or disruption to the status quo and the systems and processes. And so yeah, John was that sort of uh, you know, thinker. He was comfortable with that. And I've always been comfortable with that as well. Some people are very uncomfortable with that, as you know, Ted. 
But um, that is that is exactly what history teaches us. Um, there was a, a a book I read in uh, undergraduate time that you know Thomas Kuhn, the the the, the theory of structural uh, sci- the theory of scientific the structure of scientific revolutions or something like that. I can't remember the time, but it really talks about how we we are in this human beings a lot of times um, are in this sort of delusion that change occurs very slowly and very incrementally when actually if you look at historical change, particularly in terms of technological change, it can it's very swift and it's very disruptive. And you know, and it's sort of like it's only in the perspective of looking back that you realize, you know, how much change, how quickly. And I think that's where we are right now in terms of uh, of energy, quite frankly, in terms of uh, the distributed energy resource technologies, solar storage, energy management, uh, as as well as electrification of transportation, electrification of uh, you know systems and and equipment and appliances and 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 I think that looking back, um, we're going to um, not believe how quickly things change when they started changing. Um, kind of, the, Mal- kind of yeah. the Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the tipping point, kind of a. Uh... It's not a linear deal, is it? All of a sudden, things like no, it's not. And and I think that you know, just looking at um, one example of that would be um, let's just look at electric vehicles. And you know, there's categories of vehicles. You've got you know, light duty, medium duty, heavy duty. So let's just talk about the light duty and the medium duty. Heavy duty has had some other issues, but um, I'm pretty confident. I mean, we have um, in California right now. I think we just hit like a million uh, electric vehicles, right? And uh, and and that's out of I don't know um, ten you know more than ten million vehicles. But there's now a target that by 2035 every new vehicle in California that's purchased has to be electric. Well, I'm I'm predicting that it's going to be much sooner than that, and that you know we're already at the tipping point because as you know because you drive an electric vehicle I drive an electric vehicle. They are vastly superior in terms of performance to an internal combustion vehicle. The only issue is, uh, you know, the range and and the charging. You know, the, those that you know how how you how you deal with the range, how 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 the range needs to improve, or how how you need to manage with the range, and then how you charge the vehicle. Um, those problems are going to be solved in less than ten years. And um, and so I'm I'm pretty confident that this is this is going to be the standard, and that internal combustion engine vehicles will become the dinosaurs much quick more quickly than than we know. But it's going to complete. Imagine this. I mean, you go to an intersection and there's a gas station on each corner right now, and you know so how much of our infrastructure, how much of sort of our land use patterns are. Uh, devoted to sort of gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles, right? And then how that's going to change or modify on the basis of electric-powered vehicles. And it's going to be extraordinary. I mean, you know, sort of, it's, it's going to be, we'll figure it out, but it's just going to be this extraordinary disruption, you know, of land use and economic patterns. Well, you left Santa Monica after you retired after 16 or 17 years in that one, in that one role. And then you shifted over to the Energy Coalition, and they had the Energy Coalition that 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 initial partnership that REI grew to the six cities energy project. It grew to the Community Energy Partnership with ten cities, and then you came in, and and um, 
that model, that partnership, that notion of working with local governments, working with NGOs within a city, kind of creating an acupressure within uh, the city, that model took, took root and Edison started, Southern California Edison, the utility started promoting partnerships. And well, how many partnerships do we end up with in the state? There was dozens of them, weren't there? Yeah, there, there was literally uh, dozens and dozens in Northern and Southern California. And, um, and yeah, and, and so the, the Energy Coalition uh, was a catalyst for that. And uh, before, you know, before I was there, but, you know, I know that you were involved in that, a lot of other people. And, um, and it, it, it was adopted by the, the, the utilities, investor-owned utilities, because it was a good model for um, partnership with very, a very important customer segment for them and, and also a, a very critical connection to communities within their service territories. Now, those and, and so those partnerships achieved a lot of really great stuff. Now, um, I won't say that they were sort of perfectly managed and organized, but it opened the door, I think, to particip participation by local governments in um, in in understanding in, in in a better understanding and management of not only their energy use, but their energy opportunities. I think that's what was critically important. The other thing that was critically important uh, along those lines was the uh, the ERA program, the Energy Efficiency Community Block Grant programs, which were after the 2008, you know, the 2008 melt, economic meltdown. And so those came in in 2009, uh, 2010, and those were direct grants to cities and counties to do energy projects, energy efficiency, you know, solar, other, you know, other, you know, eligible energy projects. And for the first time, you know, a lot of these cities and counties, I know because we worked with them, were actually getting their aha moment. Yeah, this is a this is a big part of our ongoing sort of carrying costs. And this is a big part of our environmental footprint. And, and you know, and this is a big part of how we can positively impact, you know, air quality and sort of, you know, sort of reliability and safety issues within our community. And so I think that that has just grown um, from both the local government partnerships, the ERA program, and now through the regional energy networks in California, which are managed by consortia of local governments. And, and, you're, and you have um, been running the SoCal REN or running the, I want to say the municipal operations of the SoCal REN now for Five, six, seven years, something like that. The yeah, the Southern California Regional Energy Network would, it started in um, 2013, and since then the Energy Coalition has been responsible for the public, uh, all the public sector programs affiliated with that, as well as some of the other programs. And I, I'm proud to say that um, this is this is one of my moments of of um, successful disruption. The Energy Coalition actually played a key role in supporting and and advocating for the formation of regional energy networks at the Public Utilities Commission. Uh, we actually uh, paid for the utility attorney to write up, you know, the motion, you know, to create them and, and really helped with, uh, with that advocacy, which was successful. And so they were, they were allowed for the first time, um, California energy efficiency funding was allowed to be administered by a non-utility. 
and those were these regional energy networks, the local governments. Um, and so LA County was the champion in Southern California to turn in that application. And we've been working with LA County on the implementation of uh, those, a lot of those rent programs since then. What else are you excited about at the, at the Energy Coalition? What, are, what other uh, projects are, are, um, are, you, are you keen on talking about? Well, I guess the, um, the, the most notable one, which we're really keen on, is our um, Advanced Energy Community Project, which is the Bassett Avocado Advanced Energy Community Project, which has uh, uh, received funding through the California Energy Commission and is focused on creating um, energy opportunities for residents of, of a dis disadvantaged uh, census tracts, disadvantaged communities. And this is an unincorporated LA County. And, and so what are some of the goals of the project? Create a community solar resources uh, for you know, some, of those member, some of those community uh, uh, participants. Uh, create an advanced energy home pilot for 50 single family homes owned by, by low income qualified individuals in the community. Uh, have a couple of electric vehicle vans for ride sharing and carpooling. Uh, build an energy resilience hub at a, at a county park, which would be standalone, uh, micro, uh, standalone microgrid to provide uh, sort of emergency services, uh, energy re uh, heat, uh, heat uh, uh, cooling center refuge and other sorts of you know, services. And then, um, and then finally, uh, do with those 50, those 50 homes, those 50 advanced energy homes, um, create uh, rooftop solar, battery storage, as well as retrofit of uh, at least a heat pump water heater, uh, electric from, from gas to electric heat pump water heater, and, and do a simulation of uh, a customer energy management platform where what if, what if a customer had solar and storage and was able to manage their output and their demand was able to get a value within the market, you know, and, and, and get a benefit, an economic benefit from how they manage those, those resources on their property uh, in order to make them a part of this energy transformation that's occurring. Because a lot of what you hear of, Ted, and this is why I'm excited about this project, is two, is two things, that there are um, customer segments and communities that are being left behind in this, this energy revolution that's going on right now. And also that electrification could have a negative impact on energy affordability for these customers. So there's a lot about um, making sure that everyone is participating in the changes and that there, there is not a negative impact on the affordability of, of energy to those who aren't able uh, who are least able to uh, uh, to accommodate it, and so um, I think that there's some innovative approaches and models for how how the how the pricing and the markets can be restructured uh, to create incentives and positive impacts on those customer groups. There's a lot of restructuring that needs to occur. Um, and everything from sort of how we how we support rooftop solar and 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 battery storage for customers for those targeted customers to how the system prices 
you know, the output from those decentralized solar and battery systems into the grid. Um, the deck is completely stacked against those decentralized sort of community scale projects uh, in terms of the economics. But that doesn't need to be that way. I think that if we put all of those variables on the table, there's a lot of opportunity to create, to, to allow these communities to become active participants in clean energy resources going forward. And that's what we're trying to achieve. You know, my, my little electric co-op in Colorado, if you, if you can save a kilowatt hour, if you can shed a kilowatt hour during peak periods, they'll pay, pay you up to a dollar a kilowatt hour. So right. it's all that transactional value that can be created. And I love what you're saying about giving everybody the opportunity to participate. And this um, advanced energy community project is, is funded now and is going to be built. Is that right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we 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 have the grant from the uh, Energy Commission. We have various private sector partners, and so yeah, we're uh, we're optimistic that by a year from now, we're going to have um, we'll be under construction on the community solar part of the project, and that will be in partnership with the the Clean Power Alliance, and we will um, be in the implementation phase for the rooftop solar and battery storage with the the advanced energy homes we already are um final and we're, we'll, we will finalize the resiliency hub as well as the various ev chargers that we're installing as a part of the project so so yeah it's it's been very frustrating because it's the it's so slow the implementation has been going slow because there are so many hurdles we have learned so much about how difficult it is <laughs> to, to do this type of project and um and you know and the landscape keeps changing as we go forward, right? In terms of uh, what other funding is available to help leverage, you know, what some of those allowances for pricing and access to the grid are and how they're changing. Our, our partnership with the Clean Power Alliance and sort of Edison in terms of interconnection issues, it's, it's all um, a whole lot of moving parts, but I'm, uh, we're really optimistic that we're figuring it out and it's, it's gonna be a very, very positive outcome once we get this stuff built. I can, I can think of no one better equipped to handle all those challenges than you, Craig. Well, thank you, Ted. <laughs> I'm sure there's been a few frustrating moments along the way. But what a great job you've done of, uh, you know, when I worked with John Phillips, you know this. I mean, it was basically a, a tiny little office in Laguna Beach. Uh, he, he and one secretary named Sheila Bailey, who you and I both know well. And then I was number three person coming in. And by the time I left there, I don't know, we had about 20 people. And now you've turned the energy coalition over these past years into a real force in California. So congratulations on, on that. Well, thank you, Ted. Um, and, uh, and I'm really happy when we're able to um, work together uh, with your company on projects because there's a lot there. There's just there is so much that needs to be done. And there's, you know, so little time to do it in. So yeah, we've got to, we've got to all like work harder and smarter. We do, we do. How are you, um, how are you keeping balance? Um, uh, somebody like you could get burned out pretty easily uh, if not careful, if you're not careful. So I know when I met you, you were, you were running every morning. That was a big part of your life. And I am feeling maybe your knees are not tolerating that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I used to be a, a an avid runner, and now I'm an avid uh, walker. Uh, I can I can tolerate that. Um, I you know I, 
I'm embarrassed to say this, but maybe not. I've been playing golf since I was eight years old, and I still do that. I try to do that, you know, once a week. Public courses, I can't afford the country club. Um, and I have a lot of fun doing that. And and I do, I, I won't say that this is necessarily um, something that I find, you know, great uh, uh, sort of fulfillment from, but I do a lot of home uh, uh, improvement projects. We have our own home and we have a, this rental property that has been this, you know, yoker on our necks, but now it's, you know, coming out from under. And, and actually I, right now I'm working on, um, we, we yanked out the, the gas service to our, the duplex we own and, and we're doing all electric. And that is, that is an amazing story about how tough it is to do the right thing. Why is it always so difficult to do the right thing? This is like the, my mantra in life. I used to always say this in Santa Monica because um, it creates uh, a lot of headache. You got to you got to learn you got to learn a lot. Con the contractor community is is not quite you know where they need to be, and cities permitting agencies are not where they need to be. Um, but uh, but we're, I've been learning a lot just on my own, unrelated to the Energy Coalition, about how you actually uh, uh, create retrofit residences to to be a participant in this 100% clean energy economy. That's really great. Well, I'm I'm always impressed by you, Craig. And uh, <laughs> you, you know, the, the hands-on stuff is something that I like too. And the fact that you are pounding nails and putting down floors on the weekends and working on uh, <laughs> heat pumps and stuff like that is we're, we're very aligned in that regard. Um, we've we've run a little bit over, and and I really appreciate your time and uh, your insights. Really, congratulations on all that you've done. I, I, I think that the, when I think about the city of Santa Monica and what you did there and now what you've done at the Energy Coalition, uh, you've made some really big difference. You made a really big difference. And I, I'm with you, the climate crisis is right on us. We've all got to be working hard and in collaboration with each other, but thanks so much, Craig. Hey, thank you, Ted, my pleasure. And uh, we'll get it done one way or 